He came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. One great show for you today. We have Dr. Peter Michalos, How Do We Live Longer? Steve Tates, Let's Look Up in the Skies. Mario Economo on a report from Europe. And uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher on Homeland Security. What the heck is going on? William J. Parker, 37 years in the Navy. People are criticizing the ships that the Navy is making right now. And why are they doing that? Let's do this. Let's start off with the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, to find out what's going on in our country. What is today is the Speaker of the House. It is the third most important position in the country. In other words, he's in the third position to become President of the United States if something happened to the President or the uh, Vice President. Mr. Speaker, welcome to our show on this Sunday morning. And and so many things are happening in this world. Give us your priorities on, on what is happening and how do we make our country go forward. And you tell us. Well, John, thank you for having me back on the show. I think one of the biggest critical things we have right now is just this Biden economy where we've been battling inflation. And you've watched since Republicans took the majority, be able to curve back on the spending. We've got to be able to win the Senate as well. But the other major factor that Biden has done is destroyed our borders. New York is a long way from the Mexican border. It's closer to the the Canadian border. But now you're, you're seeing the problems and affecting the challenges here. And what Biden has done is opening up this border. People are coming from 160 different countries. They're bringing fentanyl. We caught more people on the terrorist watch list in February than we caught in that one month than we caught in the entire last four years. So we're really going to bat down here. We passed, it was our second biggest bill, HR2, border security bill. We're right now in the middle of government funding. We're making it a big portion of what we're going through, trying to secure our borders to keep our country safe. And at the same time, curve back that spending that gave us the inflation. And in the wokeism that uh, this Biden administration has put into almost every element of government. So those are our border problems. We know we have them. Our relationship with China, we're so interrelated. And there's an economic war going on right now between China and the United States. And everybody prays that it never develops into a, a worse situation. Doing an economic war is not so bad in the world. Tell us your relationship. You just came back from Japan. You were to G20. Give us your vision on how we can have better relations and and go forward that way. Yeah, this is very important. And I was in Japan. It was the G7 of the speakers to be able to meet. And we've watched China change their behavior and tactics. And so one of the first things I did becoming the Speaker of the House was create the Select Committee on China, that we can work in a bipartisan manner, Republicans and Democrats, because we have really failed in this nature where we, we just go from administration to administration, but we never have an American policy when it comes to China. And the one thing I found is there's so many things that we become over-dependent upon. 
in China. They control 90% of the critical minerals, but they control 95% of the processing of critical minerals, medical supplies, and others. And if you ever read Graham Allison's book, Destined for War, he came came up with, was it the Thucydides Trap, where, you know, 16 times in world history, the number two power has challenged the number one. Only four times did they not go to war. And what you have found in here is how do we play this out in an economic battle? And I believe from the free market, from democracy, we will win that. We prove it time and again. China's got some real problems going demographics and others into the future. But we've got to play it in the right manner and be stronger and not be dependent in the, of where we're going. And getting this committee together in a bipartisan way and working together, I think, is our first step forward, speaking with one voice and being prepared and bringing our other allies together into the mix. I think we've seen a real difference going forward. China's got some economic challenges that I see on the future here, and we need to make America stronger. And that means taking care of our deficit, getting that under control, being economically stronger here, technologically and not letting them steal it. So um, that's just on the forefront of things that we've done so far. Now, Mr. Speaker, oil in the last 60 days, 90 days, has gone to $90 a barrel all over again. That'll set inflation going in the wrong direction again. And since we're not opening up the spigots uh, in North America to bring down the price of oil, the Fed may have no choice but to raise interest rates which will break our country, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, we've watched the really horrendous um, decisions by the Democrats in the Biden administration. Think about this. They hurt America by cutting off what God has blessed this country to do, where we could be energy independent, raising the price of fuel. And what that does as well is raises inflation for everybody. And the thing you have to understand about crude, too, is not just going into your car. It's the making of your phone. It's the buttons on your shirt. It's the pavement of your street. It goes into almost every aspect of where we are. But now we become dependent on other countries, and these other countries now are jacking up the price. And look at what they've created now by making inflation higher, making interest rates higher. The interest rates are highest been in 20 years, so how do you buy a house? Everything you go, the transportation makes the price higher. If we were able to follow, and this is where when Republicans took the majority, we want to be energy independent. And let me explain something why that even makes the environment better. American natural gas, we have been able to lower our emissions across this world based upon American natural gas. And if we replaced Russian natural gas in Europe for one year, just one year, that would lower 215 million tons of emission because our natural gas is 41% cleaner than Russian natural gas. But the other part too, if you're buying it from America, we're creating more American jobs. And what the Biden administration has gone in and done an attack on the energy business, just only wants renewable energy instead of all the above, made the price of energy higher, which you feel in New York made inflation higher because the gasoline price is now higher, the jet fuel prices is higher, inflation gets added on compounded, so your food price is higher. This is mainly by his policy attacking American energy. It doesn't mean we buy less. It means we're buying it from our enemies. We're provi- It's a vicious uh, cycle, and we're providing the money to give Russia the power, they're making, the Russia is making a billion dollars a day to uh, wage war in the Ukraine, destroy the Ukraine, and then the American people are going to build it back up again. I mean, we pay yeah, both let, ways. Let, let me show you. Uh, should, the other by the way, should we policies. laugh or cry? 
we should fight and make sure we make America stronger, create more jobs, help help the environment, and make America, from a standpoint, not only be able to help America self, but help our allies. And China should be dependent upon us, other way around. But I watched the Democrat policy in California with Gavin Newsom. He attacked the energy policy in California, lowered our production by 20%. But you know what he did with that 20% that he lowered? He went and started buying 50,000 barrels a day from Putin and Russia which is only helping fund the Ukrainian war instead of creating jobs right in California that produce it in an environmentally sounder way. But he thinks somehow he gets the good housekeeping seal of approval of some environment when he's harming it. Mr. Speaker, my intelligence sources say that Russia is selling China, Pakistan, India oil at a 30% discount. So not, not everybody pays retail, as they used to say in New York. And those people are selling the Russian oil to America and Europe at, at retail. I mean, you, you want to cry you're, you're, or laugh? Yeah, it is a sad place, but this is all from democratic policies from this administration, not just hurting America and our economy, but helping our, helping our adversaries be stronger. That is why we need an American energy policy, which the House has passed, that it makes America energy independent, utilizing all forms of energy from renewable, from nuclear, from um, oil and natural gas as well. Well, I look forward to talking further we are on uh, the future of energy. The one big item that we've been talking about lately, it's we're not going to get enough energy from windmills. We're not going to get enough energy from solar. I mean, it's supplemental, but not enough energy to run our country. And they're talking about what they're talking about now. I think we talked about SMRs, small modular reactors that are safe and et cetera, et cetera. But we've got a minute left. What would you like to tell the American people? I tell you what, the one thing I want you to know about us, we will never give up on the American people. Our focus is on America first, that how do we make America stronger, more prosperous, curve inflation, but also protect our borders to protect American jobs to even grow stronger. Mr. Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, thank you so much, and God bless America, and we're all going to work hard to, to make America better and better and better. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. This is the Cash Roundtable. We'll be right back. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. How do you make a vacation last? 
How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. Don't send me no doctor. Filling me up with all of those pills. With us today is Dr. Peter Mihalos, a historian, a, a medical person. Dr. Peter, welcome to Sunday morning. We've done so many things to try to help our friends. What is today's uh, discussion going to be? Well, we're going to start off today by saying Shana Tova, Happy New Year to all our uh, listeners who celebrate uh, New Year's this weekend. And today we're going to talk about the number one cause of disability worldwide in 18 to 64-year-olds happens to be back pain, especially lower back pain. And lower back pain has resulted in many people not being able to work and generate income and take care of their families. And that's a, a huge issue for work productivity in the United States and worldwide. And things like inflammatory conditions, you could have a metastatic tumor to the spine during pregnancy, your, your spine is being pulled forward, you have more back pain, you can have trauma if you get hit by a car or someone in a, assaults you and you get hit or kicked in the back, osteoporosis, where, which means that the bones start getting more brittle and weak. You can have nerve root compression, where basically one of your discs pushes on the nerve endings and you get very bad pain. And as we age, we get something called degenerative disc disease and, and we get a little shorter. I used to be 6'7", now I'm 6'5", and that's what happens as we age. And spinal stenosis is another thing that puts pressure on the spinal cord. And these are all issues that we have to be aware of. Well, what do you do when you go to the doctor? Usually we get imaging and the doctor will order either x-rays or an MRI, which is more like a 35 millimeter camera showing details of if you have a disc pushing on your spinal cord, causing your pain or numbness or weakness in the leg. But when we think of back pain, we also have to think of other things. For example, some people, women especially, get atypical presentations of heart attack. I recently had someone, a lady who had some back pain and some nausea. I told you, you really should go in and get checked out. And guess what? It was, she was in the middle of a heart attack, so she didn't have the typical uh, front chest pain. So these are some of the things that we have to look at. And also uh, aneurysms. If you have an aneurysm, a thoracic aneurysm, that can also cause back pain as well as well as things like kidney stones for those who've had back lower back pain with kidney stones. It's a horrific pain and uh, basically like having a piece of glass passing through your urinary system. So these are some of the things to uh, watch out for and the imaging that's done. Always ask for a disc when you go to get any test so that the doctor that you will see next will have a copy and that will help facilitate things. In other words, get the disc of the MRI so you can always get a second opinion. That's very important. Absolutely. Or even for the first opinion, sometimes they send you to another specialist. So if you go to your primary care, says he orders an MRI, you have the disc, and your next step is to see an orthopedist or a neurosurgeon or a neurologist. You have your disc in hand. And when you go to the ER, you also have the right when you leave, you can say, may I please have a copy of any testing that was done? So you can physically take those copies with you, which I recommend to our listeners to have 
that actionable uh, data. Now, those kidney stones, those kidney stones, is it the foods that you're eating? Yeah, there are foods like spinach, dark chocolate are associated with increased risk of something called calcium oxalate crystals. And when you do have a kidney stone, that's why they tell you to use a strainer, because if you can catch the kidney stone, it could be sent to the laboratory for analysis. And it's very important to stay hydrated, drink a lot of water to help avoid, and also to help pass. Now there, you know, In other words, to keep things, move, keep things moving. Yep, keep the flow, keep the plumbing moving along. And now there's high-tech technology with ultrasound where you can actually put this pad that's like a gel pad right up against the kidney, and you can shoot this sound wave ultrasound, and it actually breaks up and turns the little pebble kidney stone into little sandy, tiny little uh, pieces, and they just flow out much more readily. And there's also medicines that called alpha blockers, which can dilate our ureters, which are the plumbing, the tubes, where these things exit and where our urine exit. And that also helps facilitate it. But most people end up in the emergency room and need painkillers because it's described as like a horrible pain. It feels like you're being stabbed in your back. So it's in the differential diagnosis of back pain. And other treatments that are being used around the world are steroid injections to reduce the inflammation. Sometimes you need surgery to actually physically take the disc that's pushing on your spinal cord away to help the back pain, and you have to fuse the two bones because basically it's like a Lego set. It's a stack of uh, Legos with a little rubber in between, and that rubber is our disc, and now, stem cells are... back back problems. And, you know, with stem cells, you know, my wife had horrific back problems for two years. And she saw many doctors, and she had uh, stem cells. Finally, she's getting better. I can't believe the amount of people that have back problems. When you, you sit around a dinner table, almost everybody has back problems. Yeah, 4 million in the United States, which is uh, it's severe. I imagine that it's the number one cause of disability, work-related disability, in ages 18 to 64. And people over 64. Five, it's the fourth leading cause of disability. And a lot of times people file with disability and they take a lot of painkillers. So these insurance companies go around videotaping these people, but what they're not really seeing the real picture, they're just masking the pain. They still have the problem. They still can't do any sustained work. They still have medication side effects because that's one of the problems. You have to take strong medicines that cause brain fog and uh, memory issues and concentration issues. But they say, oh, you're fine because they saw you walking or taking out the garbage. But meanwhile, you had to take two narcotics to get to that point. So it's it's a very difficult thing. And these people suffer internally because on the outside, they say, oh, you look great. But on the inside, only those people who are suffering from a disability know how much pain they're in and how much uh, difficulty they're having each day sitting, walking, standing for any prolonged period of time. And they're really not capable of any sustained work. Well, Dr. Peter Michalos, thank you so much, and uh, God bless you, and thank you for all the people you help, and, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. What is today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and he's with us every Sunday morning to tell us what's going on, well, Mars, Venus, the moon, and the skies. Well, Steve Cates, what's going on? Well, good morning, John. We want to wish our Jewish friends a happy new year in the calendar, 5784, as the celebration of Rosh Hashanah continues, which has a lot to do with the new moon and the cycles of the sky. But, John, we talk about going deeper into space. The James Webb Telescope, which is a giant infrared eye in the sky, people may not know that, 
They found around the red dwarf called K218b, which, by the way, is about nine times the size of the Earth. It's a planet. And they've actually found some carbon-rich atmosphere. At least that's what the astronomers think. They detected a technical molecule called dimethyl sulfide. What's that? Well, that's something that's only produced by plankton here on the Earth. So if this particular planet continues to hold true around this red dwarf, they call this type of a planetary object a hycian, meaning a hybrid like of hydrogen and, of course, around an ocean. So isn't that amazing, John? We're hearing more and more about these exoplanets. Maybe one day we'll find the truth about a habitable planet. That's what the search is all about. Because the closest of the habitable planets, just in case people were curious on this Sunday morning, around the nearest star, a little red dwarf called Proxima Centauri, there's a little tiny star, which that is a star, that has a little tiny planet called Centaur B. And it's only 4.2 light years away. And in the world of astronomy, that's just like it's around the corner compared to some of these other objects. But John, this gets even more fascinating. Let's go to the planet Mars and open up our minds more. The Perseverance rover has been working on creating and producing oxygen on the surface of Mars with a little tiny experiment that's very costly. It's called MOXIE. And what's it doing? It's like a fuel cell in reverse. It's an electrolyzer. And without all the technical details, what it's done, it's created 122 grams of oxygen. And that's enough oxygen for a small dog to breathe for 10 hours, which means in the future, once we go to Mars, we now have the technology at least to see how we can turn carbon dioxide into oxygen. A most amazing technology story, don't you think? Well, someday if we could habitate the planet, if we ever can get there, and so many problems have arisen where the fact is we're being told that the human body can't take being out there for that long a time. Absolutely, and the big one we've talked about before, and I know this is really a technical subject beyond my area that I specialize in, is that of radiation in space. The longer you go out in these long missions into deep space, Cosmic rays, radiation, of course, will eventually permeate spacecraft. So the bottom line is maybe not necessarily good for your health, but that's a whole nother story. But we always end off on two things. we got the mystery of the week, John, and here we go. More information about how the universe was created and the mysteries. Now we find out that the universe is made up of these vast shells of matter called cosmic bubbles. What's that? These are galaxies that cluster into vast bubbles that are held together by what we haven't proven yet, but what astronomers and cosmologists think is dark matter. Remember, 25% of the universe, John, is thought to be made of this material called dark matter, if it's material at all, and only 5% of the universe is made up of what we call baryonic matter. That's the stuff that we're made up of. So this is fascinating as the universe continues to expand. We expand our minds here on this particular show every week, and we're so grateful to reach out across America on the Cats Roundtable. And finally, in the live sky, we've got this. We find out that the moon, of course, goes to new. We find out that if you look into the southeast after sunset, Saturn is there. Early morning risers, that object that you see in the east is not a UFO. The beauty of the planet Venus, the brightest of all the planets. And what do we say, John? Always remember to keep your feet on the ground, your eyes to the skies. And check out our Dr. Sky experience proudly here on WABCradio.com. It's amazing, John, all the things we're discovering we could do hours and hours on this, and I'm sure you would agree, because the discoveries just keep coming on strong. I agree very much so. Uh, anything going on with the Mars rovers? Well, what I mentioned before, the Perseverance is actually collecting or producing oxygen, 
The other rovers, I'm amazed that even continue to even operate because of the longevity of these big, you know, robotic spacecraft. But John, was it possible to uh, last this long? The the other one? Well, actually, they're going way over their expected lifetimes. And we have to remember, we're talking about solar power. But let's talk just briefly about that Ingenuity helicopter. That's incredible. And what people can go to is our WABC Dr. Sky experience. We have an exclusive interview with the chief pilot of the Ingenuity helicopter. And he he talks about how that whole thing actually works and how you have to have high-speed rotors because the oxygen is not there on Mars, how the atmosphere is so thin. But, John, honestly, always honest with you and the audience, I think it's going to be a longer time then we thought about sending humans there because of the issues you and I were both talking about, about health issues and radiation. But I think even NASA's big rocket, the SLS, is over budget. They're going to have to find a way to do this, I hate the word cheaper, but more efficiently. But the story of the planet Mars, so many privatized companies have their focus on that. And that could be something interesting, as we'll report on here in the future. Well, Dr. Sky. Steve Cates, thank you so much for bringing us up to date, and we'll, we'll talk up again real soon. Well, thank you, John. Have a great Sunday. Thank you. Too. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. With us this morning is Mario Economo who's with many large money central banks and has been giving us updates on what's going on in Europe. Mario, uh, the European Central Bank increased interest rates again. I personally think it's a big mistake and it's going to hurt all the economies. Tell us what's going on in Europe, what's going on with the economies of, of Germany, France, Italy. You tell us. Yes, good morning, Cats Roundtable. So, yes, you're right. They did increase the interest rates, and once again, they're trying to fight that beast called inflation. Unfortunately, they're not having tremendous luck. If you look at the price people are paying at the pump and if you look at the cost of food in Europe, it remains ridiculously high. So they keep increasing these interest rates in hopes that they're going to actually dampen people's appetite to go out and spend money. But the reality is when you need to buy food, you have to buy food. So certain items, no matter what the price goes up to, people will have to pay the money to buy them. So I think we have a longer and more difficult problem to tackle here, and that is specifically one of not enough food. I think if they were to actually flood the market with more food, we would actually see the price come down. If we were to see, for example, energy costs come down, transporting the food costs come down, then we would see energy inflation come down, we would see food inflation come down. Unfortunately, this is not happening. In fact, quite the opposite is happening. We saw uh, the recent announcement once again of OPEC's desire to decrease the number of barrels that it produces per day. And we've seen what's going on in the oil markets. And I think 
realistically, the Europeans are very spooked at this point because they have winter looming around the corner and they realize that they're going to have to once again figure out what the natural gas market is going to do and if they're going to be able to afford to heat their homes. I do want to say something which I find very interesting. A couple of the largest importers of Russian LNG are actually in Europe, in the European Union. So notwithstanding all the sanctions that have been applied to Russia, LNG, which continues to be one of the items which is not sanctioned by the European Union, two member countries specifically are the second largest importers of Russian LNG. And what Russia is, has said they have cut production, but nobody really knows what Russia is doing. OPEC says they cut production. Nobody really knows what OPEC is doing. And what they're doing is, what I've been told, is Russia is moving it to Pakistan and India, and then Pakistan and India are sending it to Europe and sending it to the United States. What do you hear? Well, actually, uh, Pakistan's not sending it. They're actually keeping it for themselves. But India, yes, India is refining the product, the crude, and it's actually selling it then subsequently on the markets. And it's allowed to do that because it's not part of the whole uh, sanctions uh, uh, policy. Look, these sanctions haven't worked. It's ridiculous for everybody to be still walking around thinking that they're actually creating some kind of harm and damage on the Russian economy. People a while back, several weeks were all excited because they saw inflation in Russia was running at around 11% and that the ruble had collapsed once again. And all I have to say to my European brothers and sisters is, you know, when inflation in Russia is running at 11% and inflation in the Eurozone on foodstuffs is running anywhere from 10 to 20%, you know, you should take very little joy in the fact that Russia is enjoying 11% inflation because, frankly, at the end of the day, whether you're paid in rubles or in euros, if inflation is running 10 to 20%, it's running 10 to 20%. So you're feeling the pinch. So I'm a little confused why everybody seems to be so excited that the ruble has collapsed and that Russia has some inflation when things in the West are not particularly good. How is the economy of France, Italy, and Germany? Those are the big three, aren't they, in the, in the European community? Yes, well, it looks like Germany is going to dodge the worst of what the predictions were, but... Having said that, like I said, winter is around the corner. Energy costs are still, although they're creeping up, they're still relatively low. Let's see what will happen in the rest of the year. As far as Italy goes, they saw on the island of Lampedusa earlier this week, uh, in a 24-hour period, a huge influx of people, of migrants from Libya. The island itself and the facilities are overwhelmed, so much so that the Italian prime minister has basically warned Europe that unless Europe gets actively involved in supporting Italy in this, they may actually have to consider more extreme options, including shutting down their borders. Um, I do want to mention one other thing. This is important. We haven't touched on this in a while. President Putin announced that in his new budget, he's actually increasing Russia's defense spending from $54 billion this year to $100 billion next year. That's a huge increase. I know for well, the U.S. He's selling, he, he's selling oil, 10 million uh, barrels a day, a billion dollars a day in sales. Yes, he's making a lot of money on oil. There's no doubt about that. But the and where, you know is, who's making them rich? America, uh, the United States. Because look, if President Biden is cutting back on fossil fuels, the price goes up and Russia makes the money. Well, there's, there, there's no doubt in what you're saying. The reality is that if we could see the U.S. open the spigots, there would be a tremendous impact in the 
marketplace, the global marketplace. But unfortunately, the U.S., for whatever reason, has decided that they're not going to go down that road at the moment. It's for you Americans to decide what happens moving forward. Yes, we got an election coming up in 13, 14 months, and I pray for our country. One, one last note. Uh, we saw there was a very good visit between President Putin and North Korea's uh, leader. They had a very good meeting in Russia together. In fact, the North Korean leader has invited the Russian president to come and visit North Korea. I think that's something the U.S. needs to keep their eye on. I don't think there's anything the U.S. can do. Sanctioning Russia or Korea even more is not going to have a tremendous impact. But I think that the U.S. does need to keep their eye on that because that is going to be a relationship the two of them will develop, which will grow and blossom into something far greater and dangerous than any of us thought could. Mario Konomu, thank you very much for updating the American people. God bless you and God bless America, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you. Enjoy your day. With us today is Congressman Mike Gallagher. He is on the Armed Services Committee, Homeland Security Committee, and Transportation and Infrastructure Committee from the great state of Wisconsin. Well, uh, Mike Gallagher, tell us what the heck is going on. <laughs> well, we were just in uh, your neck of the woods, John, uh, in New York. We brought the Select Committee on China uh, to New York to really engage with leaders on Wall Street, asset managers, bankers, who I think it's fair to say have tend to have a different view on China than I do, than members of the committee do, a more dovish view. But we wanted to engage them candidly. We conducted a war game with a lot of those leaders to examine what would happen to the global financial system in the event China invaded Taiwan. And of course, the results were extremely sobering, and it emphasized the need for us to take action now, to take action on things like cutting off the flow of U.S. money to Chinese military companies, which remarkably is happening right now. We are, in some meaningful sense, funding our own destruction by allowing investments in Chinese military companies that are, of course, building things designed to kill Americans in a future conflict. And then we held a field hearing in New York to talk through the systemic risks associated with investing in China. So that was the purpose of the visit, and it was very, a uh, very fruitful and productive visit. Well, uh, Congressman, I, I've been on uh, Fox uh, all week talking about that by raising the price of oil, crude oil, up to $90 a barrel, where it is now, uh, and President Biden cutting down the uh, supplies in Alaska instead of increasing supplies, Russia is making a billion dollars a day, and we're funding Russia to, for all their wars. I mean, we're providing the money for the wars. It's crazy. I mean, it's the height of insanity, and it just gets to the broader problem with the Biden administration's energy policy. And really, this is one of the biggest weaknesses in our approach to China. We should have a massive advantage relative to China when it comes to energy because we have such deep resources and they have such severe energy needs. But because of this Green New Deal policy that Biden is pushing, we're actually making ourselves dependent on China for the production of batteries. Uh, we have American car companies that are taking Inflation Reduction Act dollars like Ford and forging partnerships with massive Chinese battery companies. So your taxpayer dollars are subsidizing the growth of Chinese battery companies. It's, it's absolutely absurd. And when it comes to the Middle East, I mean, everything you said is right. And But there's also just the, the pure geopolitical reality, which is the Biden administration, um, by attempting to revive the Iran deal, is alienating all our traditional allies in the region. Uh, Israel, the Sunni Arab Gulf states, obviously there's tensions in the relationship with Saudi Arabia. So 
all of this is creating international chaos, and it's why we need a better president. We need a, a new president come January 2025. I, I agree 100%. I mean, it, it's crazy when you say we're providing all the money to destroy the Ukraine by Russia, and then we're going to provide all the money to build it up again after the war is over. Exactly. It's completely yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's got to be... Aren't are the American people crying or are they laughing? I mean, it's crazy what's going on. It's all our dollars. Yep, and I think that's why you're seeing, and I say this as someone who's supported, you know, clinical targeted lethal assistance to Ukraine, but you are seeing, you know, growing skepticism among the American people on, you know, what's going on there and, and, and asking, I think, rightly for a better articulated end state and a better strategy. I mean, I, I want Ukraine to win. I, I think the fact that we've been able to degrade or that the Ukrainians have been able to fight bravely and degrade the Russian military on the ground is, is good for NATO. It's actually good in terms of um, but Congressman, other what kind of, of yeah. what kind of war is it when President Biden tells the Ukraine uh, you could fight the war in Ukraine, but we don't want you crossing the border into Russia? Well, this is this has been the pattern from the start with the Biden administration. It's, they're so afraid of provoking Russia that they don't do what's necessary to actually win or allow the Ukrainians to win. And it is their fear of provocation that I actually think emboldens our enemies. Um, so they're constantly waiting and waiting and waiting until the last second. And then they put in place half measures and it just makes us look weak and it's been a consistent pattern with this administration. This is John Katzmatidis. If you want to hear the full interview, go to WABCRadio.com. This is the Katz Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Katz Roundtable. With us today is Dr. William J. Parker, a longtime Navy man, former CEO and president of the East-West Institute. And now he is running the Maritime Technologies. Dr. Parker, there was an articles in a few magazines. How did the Navy spend their money in the last 10 years? And it, it, it points out crappy ships. Uh, can you respond to this and tell the American people the truth? Absolutely. Uh, always tell the American people the truth. And first of all, I would say that uh, I don't represent the Navy, but here's some insights on it. Uh, I think that LCS as a, as a big picture is a bit of a distraction over the bigger issue of shipbuilding. But let's get into uh, LCS for a minute. So numbers matter. And LCS could have been an inexpensive stopgap while a new class of ship was built. That was the plan. More modern than the Arleigh Burke Destroyer, which is currently our workhorse. But then the Zumwalt class was cut originally. It was planned to build 32, and then they only built two of those that are active today. So what's that do to you? Well, it says that you've got these 14 active and 16 completed LCS, and they had a lot of problems. Part of that was because we built them in two shipyards, two different classes of ship within the littoral combat system. Part of it was because we tried to slap a whole lot of things on them and make them things that they weren't. But they did have some value. They were able to be a stopgap for some of the other Arleigh Burks were built. That said, when you look at the cost of them, they were about one-third the cost of a DDG-51. So they cost about $500 million. Arleigh Burke cost about uh, $1.5 billion. You know, we continue to build the Arleigh Burke, and LCS has, has a lot of problems. I will tell you that every class of ship that you build has problems when it's first built. So when the Arleigh Burke, class, uh, Arleigh Burke Destroyer was first built, they called it the already-been-broke class. 
and and it was. It had a lot of new systems that had never been tested at sea before, and uh, the Navy got it right pretty quickly, and that was not the case with LCS. So I think it's good that uh, that folks are out there writing about this and saying, what the heck, why are we spending all this money on ships that don't work and now we're getting rid of them? I think it's a very valid point. Wow. I mean, uh, and it, it hasn't made headlines until now. And uh, can any of these ships withstand a, if the enemy uh, shoots uh, hypersonic missiles at it? Is there a defense against hypersonic missiles yet? Well, there is, there is defenses against hypersonics and just about every other weapon system that the ships have. But remember, a littoral combat ship was really built to do very specific plug-and-play things. So you built this LCS, and then you were going to be able to plug in a surface warfare component or an anti-submarine warfare component or a missile component specific to a specific mission. So they were smaller, supposed to be plug-and-play uh, vessels. So numbers matter, for sure, but capability matters a whole lot, too. And so you have the capability in the Arleigh Burke destroyers. You have the capability, for sure, also in the Zumwalt class, but they're significantly more expensive. Uh, and so there's kind of the the uh, trade between the two. The bigger issue to me, Mr. Kastentidis, is that China currently has 232 times the shipbuilding capacity that the United States did. I didn't misquote that. They are capable of building ships 232 times what the United States can, and they can build combatants more than 200 times the capability that we have. So they have a huge uh, advantage in that capability. And remember, during World War II, a big part of uh, our success was the fact that we were able to build ships. As a matter of fact, we were building Liberty ships at a Liberty ship a day at the peak of the war, a Liberty ship a day. And now China has a merchant marine force that's 7,360 or so ships. The United States has a merchant marine force of about 178. The Chinese now have a much larger Navy than we do. So numbers say matter. The, say those numbers again, because I'm not I'm sure gonna, I caught it, but say those numbers again. I'm going to give you those numbers again. So the Chinese have a shipbuilding capacity that's 232 times the shipbuilding capacity of the United States. I, I, I run a technology company, a shipbuilding technology company in the United States, and can tell you it is not our focus right now, and it needs to be. I mean, at Parker Maritime, we're, we're constantly going to what we think are the right folks and saying, are you interested in, like, building ships and getting them going again? The reality is that the Chinese can build combatants at a capacity of 200 times what the United States can, and they can build ships writ large at 232 times what the United States can. You take that in addition to every commercial ship that's built in China that's going to operate in China or Chinese waters, they make sure that they are built to military standards so that they can carry military equipment, that they have the right uh, roll-on, roll-off capability, the right tie-downs, et cetera, in case they go to war. We're not focused on that. This is John Katzmatidis. If you want to hear the full interview, go to WABCRadio.com. With us today is Larry Kudlow, the country's leading economist, and I'd love to hear from Kudlow what the auto workers' strike is going to do to the country. Larry? Well, look at You know, I may not agree with all their demands, but I think the auto workers, they have a lot to bellyache about. I mean, for example, right now, we're watching world oil prices march back to $100 a barrel. 
And we're watching gasoline prices march back to $4 a gallon. Inflation, all the inflation indexes uh, for August that came out were higher than expected, CPI, PPI, import prices. So real wages are falling because inflation is rising faster than wages. And the UAW does not have any cost of living adjustment. They have no COLAs going back to the car bailouts of 2009. And furthermore, Joe Biden has heaped whatever $500 billion on electric vehicles, which is going to do great damage to all car workers, but particularly the union UAW workers. Uh, Biden shouldn't be doing this. There should be consumer choice. He shouldn't ban uh, gasoline cars. He shouldn't have stopped fossil fuels. He shouldn't let OPEC plus with Russia, Iran, Venezuela, and the Saudis. I mean, I think that the UAW people have a lot to complain about. I'm not, I don't necessarily agree with all their points, but I agree with many of their points. And who's going to stand up to the working man in this country? Who's going to stand up for the working man? Joe Biden says he's pro-union. Show me. Everything he's done has been anti-union and basically not just union organized labor. Anti-middle class. Folks everywhere. Yes. Anti-middle class. And, you know, the numbers came out from the Census Bureau, the poverty rates going up. So the lower income people are doing very badly under Joe Biden. I mean, Biden inflation, Bidenomics, Biden climate policy, all this stuff is out there. And the UAW is um, unhappy about it. I can't say that I blame them. Larry, you know, uh, if I was at the UAW, Ford Motor Company uh, lost $4.5 billion on electric vehicles last quarter. I understand yep. General Motors is close to that, $3 billion or maybe 4 If they weren't losing so much money at the direction of, of uh, President Biden in Washington for electric vehicles, maybe they could afford to give a raise. Yes, there you go. That's a very interesting point. Very interesting point. I mean, look, the fundamental point here is American consumers and motorists should have a choice. The government should not say to them, you can't buy gas-powered cars in 10 years, all right? Because gas cars are still vastly more popular than electric cars, all right? That's an important point. But meanwhile, the inflation problem, I mean, look, since Biden took office, if you use February of 2021 as your base, the consumer price index is up 17 percent. All right. UAW wages are not up 17 percent because there's no cost of living adjustment. So I say, you know, they have a point. I mean, maybe they'll sit down and work this out. Uh, if, it's, if it's a full scale strike for all three companies uh, for three months or one quarter, it'll take two percent out of GDP and probably throw us into recession. Wow. So that's the wow. Part. That'll do it for me. It's been a long week. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Have a good uh, weekend. Uh, right. Relax a little bit and we'll catch up real soon. Thank you. Appreciate With us today is Mike Summers. He's the 15th Chief Executive Officer of the American Petroleum Institute. And so many things uh, are happening in petroleum uh, industry these days uh, between EVs, gas-powered cars, the price going up, price going down. Where the heck are we going? Uh, Mike, uh, John Katzmatidis here. What do you think? What's going on? Well, John, great to be with you. I'll tell you, it is, it is a very volatile time within the industry, particularly because 
the Biden administration has decided to put forth a regulatory onslaught on American oil and gas. Uh, every, every opportunity that they have to limit the amount of production that we have in the United States, they are taking. In fact, what I would argue is that everywhere they can cut off production, they are, uh, specifically on federal lands and in federal waters, which they have direct control over. And the sad part is, is that's about 25% of American production. So everywhere they're doing this, this is leading to higher gas prices for American consumers. And honestly, it's also leading to instability throughout the world because the world depends on American oil and gas to power the rest of the world as well. And so what we're asking for is regulatory relief here so that American can, again, be the world leader in energy production. Well, North America, between Canada, Alaska, the United States, we, uh, we have 100 years worth of oil, at least, not counting the Arctic. And uh, the price of oil uh, uh, was down to uh, the 50s, 60s, and uh, our economy was doing great until President Biden decided to close off that pipeline and, and uh, restrict, uh, and the EPA, too, restricting uh, certain uh, uh, oil processes. And, uh, and uh, what happens? The price goes to $100. Well, just yesterday, the Secretary of, Ener- of Energy, Jennifer Granholm, said that they're doing everything in their power to lower prices for American consumers. That's just flatly untrue. In fact, what they did just last week to cut off leases in uh, Alaska, an illegal move that was authorized by Congress, uh, leases and permits on federal lands are down 96% since this, uh, this White House took over. Uh, they're uh, cutting off access to the Gulf of Mexico. Just three weeks ago, they cut off 6 million acres uh, of development in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, again, 25% of American production is on federal lands and in federal waters, and they're doing everything they can to stop that production. And then in addition to that, they're putting new regulatory restrictions in place that are going to lead to more lost production if we're not careful. And then on top of that, they're talking about forcing Americans to buy cars that they just don't want. They're trying to do this forced electrification through uh, electric vehicles, uh, in fact, they have a regula- regulation under consideration right now that would mandate that 70% of the cars in 2030 are EVs. And these cars are staying on the lots already. Americans aren't, don't want this technology right now. What they want is an internal combustion engine that they can depend on and they don't have to worry about where they're going to get their next charge. So it, at every opportunity they have to cut off American production, they're doing it. Mike Summers, thank you for everything you do. Continue to speak out, and whatever help you need from us, uh, uh, you got it, and uh, we'll catch up again real soon. John, thanks for everything. Thanks for all your help that you're putting out there to make sure that we're getting these policies right. God bless you, and God bless America. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable. Every Sunday morning, we'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.